Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, where I, Catherine Whitaker, am sat alongside The Telegraph's Simon Briggs in the very moments following what I think can be pretty undisputably termed the match of the tournament, Simon, between Novak Djokovic and the unheralded Italian Marco Cecchinato, who finds himself a Grand Slam semi-finalist. Yeah, it feels like the the big match arrived uh, 24 hours late, doesn't it? We were here for Serena and Sharapova yesterday afternoon and uh, that one was scratched from the the bill. Um, and then this one wasn't expected to be anything much at all, was it? I mean, it was out on Suzanne Longland while we were all talking about the Zverev and team being the main event. Um, and then from early stages, really, you could tell that something was brewing. I thought um, at first it looked like a story of Novak being not himself um, and, you know, a, a quality opponent taking advantage. But then in, in the other two sets that uh, Cecchinato won, he was playing against, I mean, not, not the greatest ever Djokovic, but a pretty full force version of it. So, I mean, in some ways you come away from this thinking not only was it an incredible match, not only is... Cecchinato, a, a fascinating story, although there are some downsides to it, as I'm sure we'll come on to later. But uh, Djokovic is kind of back as well. Yeah, I, I mean, d- just to clarify for anyone that w- was locked in a cupboard for some reason and, and, and not able to watch that match, Cecchinato won 7-6 in the fourth set, uh, 13-11 in the tiebreak. I mean, that, that tiebreak, all I think 22 minutes of it, was the first time I think this fortnight that Roland Garros has stood still in suspended animation and everyone has been transfixed on the same screen on the same match it was in terms of a moment this was the moment of the tournament yeah and I think uh, Novak's coming straight in by the sound of that very much does sound so do you need to go Simon Uh, well no I mean I'm not going to ask him anything different to what anybody else will Uh, so uh, I'll be able to catch up with uh, the debate but all our Colleagues are about to march past in the... Yeah, the stampede, the stampede is commencing. You can practically hear footsteps on the floor down the microphone. I mean, I, there, there are many individual moments we could pick out, but the match point that, that was eventually won by Cecchinato, it was, it was, he left it, didn't he? Djokovic left that ball and it dropped in on the baseline. It was, it was a mental error 
that cost Novak Djokovic the final point. Do you think that's fitting? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think Novak played a, a high level um, in that tie break. He got himself out of three match points, didn't he? And a couple of them uh, were absolutely unbelievable. The volley he played on the first match point, the, the short angle drop volley. Oh, wow. And then he's making the kind of um, earlobe tugging gesture to the crowd. Uh, I guess he felt that they maybe they were against him, and then he also fired up um, on one of his set points. There is consternation around us because they've just announced that Novak Djokovic is, is going to go into interview room number two. It's a good job you don't need to attend that press conference, Simon, because I don't think you'll fit in the room. Just to be clear, room number two is around about what a third of the size, maybe a quarter of the size of the main room. I can only assume there is another tennis player occupying the main room, but. Yeah, Novak Djokovic going into the, the second interview room for probably the first time in, what, the last decade of his life. There is, I mean, yeah, the, the stampede is now in reverse. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is probably just uh, the fact that he's said, I want to come in now and I'm not uh, waiting if there's an interview in progress. I guess that that's, must be what's going on. And you do tend to get better quotes when they uh, when they come in fresh from defeat, all hot-headed, don't you? The hot take, yeah, that, that's one, one um, justification. This is a bit sort of in-house, but there's one justification for bringing in the mixed zone approach that people use in football so that the player comes off the courts or goes through a... Uh, a kind of an, an area with a little sponsor sign behind them and does their, their chat then while they're still um, <laughs> either elated or dejected depending on which way everything's gone and sometimes that can that can definitely elicit more interesting responses than if they've had time to think about the party line. How disappointed do you think he ought to be Novak Djokovic and had he taken that match into a fifth did he have enough left in the tank for a fifth set? He was he he was looking pr- pretty spent, wasn't he, physically? Yeah, but I mean, Chechenato also said on in his on court quotes that he was extremely tired. So it would have been uh, fascinating. I'm sure the the quality would have stayed high because they they both produced some magical tennis in that tiebreak. I mean, this guy can play, can't he? How much have you had you seen of him before this tournament? Because I mean, I, I thought I'd seen bits and bobs of him, but I've been pretty blown away particularly by what I saw today well he was um he'd lost all four slam matches that he played in main draws coming into Roland Garros I think um, Chris Clary mentioned the uh, I think Djokovic has won 200 slam matches so it was 200 nil uh on on the card in terms of the the point of entry at this tournament um so I thought I'm trying to work out who he plays like. I mean, it felt a little bit like if you could imagine Richard Gasquet on some sort of um, intravenous device that, that sort of um, kept him revved up and full of self-belief uh, throughout, uh, you know, three and a half hours. How long was it? Around, around about that. Oh. Yeah, around three and a half hours. If you could imagine that, maybe that was what it was like because there was a lot of top on his backhand and, and quite a lot of top on his forehand as well. And, I mean, he was just... He showed the total package because he... His defence was yeah, extraordinary. I mean, those sliding slices off both wings and then the drop shots were exquisite, apart from in the third set when he kind of went a bit haywire and, and obviously had a letdown, which is understandable. Uh, and and the drop volleys. He's, he's, he sort of looks like he's um, learned his game definitely on clay because... Just, it was just uh, that sort of natural 
mastery of all the angles, spins and touches. And and, and, if, if you, and stand at his court positioning as well. I mean, you can't get away with that if you don't know what you're doing on a clay court, standing, you know, Nadal-esque uh, depth behind the baseline. And, he, I mean, he, he covered with ease, didn't he? I mean, time and again, Djokovic was hitting strong shots, pulling him out wide, and he just, I guess he was sitting deep, but he moved so smoothly to the ball. Then he played such solid slice defences off both wings and was back in court. So it was just very difficult to stop him from staying in the point. And then he had the, the guts to go for the winner when it was there. I mean, he saw the, so the final point, Novak decides to serve and volley, which is a, a gutsy call as well. And then Cecinato hits his loopy backhand up the line... And as you say, Djokovic could have got to a racket on it, but it would have been a very difficult volley even if he had gone for it. Now, to get on to the, the many controversies potentially associated with the match in Cecchinato, both players in this match had uh, were given warnings for on-court coaching, for, for unsportsmanlike conduct related to on-court coaching. Cecchinato actually had a point deducted for that now have you have you i can't remember any incidences of djokovic getting on court coach or certainly being penalized for on court coaching from marion vida can you i mean it just i mean the supervisor was on court at one point it just all seemed to be happening yeah i don't particularly um remember that that's happened before um in the case of chechenato there was some suggestion that, that he was dr point um was it the first point of the fourth set and there's some suggestion that's because he went off court without asking permission from Carlos Ramos. And that's against the rules. Um, so it may not have been a second coaching call that he he was uh, done for. Uh, so the second warning, the first one having been for, for, for wrong court coaching. In fact, when, when he got that, he, uh, he said out loud, it's picked up by the, the on-court microphones. He said, you, don't coach me, just pray for me. His box. That's enough talking, yeah. Just, just, just pray now. But uh, if it, it, there was some suggestion that not only did he, go, he get it for going off court, but he was going off court to get another pair of shoes. So uh, it sounds a little bit like a technicality. If we're talking about technicalities, I mean, how long was Djokovic taking between serves um, in the tiebreak? And at what point does he get a point deducted? I mean, that, was, that, that would have been interesting. He could have lost the match on a, on, a, on a point penalty. And the technicality there is where does the surface motion start? I mean, that's a whole whole debate that, that we, we shan't get into on Daily Grand Slam podcast. But for, I mean, it applies to Marin Cilic as well, who doesn't take too much time getting up to the line. But once he's there, does his whole rigmarole of wiggly foot, wiggly leg, ball bounce, another little wiggle of the leg, is, does ball bouncing start uh, form part of the service motion? I think we're moving towards a stage where we have to agree that yes, it does, because um, the poor directors that direct the the coverage of the matches they have to do a lot of quite fancy cutting away from the ball bouncing so that it sort of makes you less aware of how much of it is going on but if you just leave the camera on Novak Djokovic at the service line and watch the full bouncing and all it just you suddenly go oh my god that's that's going on a long time I'd like to count some of them in the tiebreak but also I mean you talk about the, the director cutting away what about the player I mean you know <laughs> you wonder if he could maybe um, 
go through his Twitter feed or pick his nose or straighten his socks or something rather than actually standing there in the receiving crouch. It almost looked as if Cecinato was sort of going down and then sort of standing up again and then going down. And it's like, is this ball coming or what? It's, it's like it's like waiting for the for the London Underground. He dealt with it all so well, though, didn't he? It just didn't seem like he could miss. It really didn't seem like he he. he I mean, he he might get beaten by brilliance of Djokovic, but he he certainly wasn't going to be beating himself. I mean, particularly towards the end, he, he was uh, he was giving away hardly any mistakes, uh, and I guess he was he was judging very well, wasn't he, when to to go for the the, the, the critical thrust. The winners he hit in the tiebreak were winners when Djokovic was completely out of the picture, and he almost had an empty court to go into. And apart from that, he was just playing super solid, and as you say, defending so smoothly off the flanks. Incidentally, the murmur you can hear is the stampede going back past us again because Novak Djokovic has just rushed past us having exited interview room number two. By my reckoning, looking at how long we've been recording, he was in there about four and a half minutes, Simon? Five minutes, something like that? Pretty short and sweet. Um, Well, uh, I can't uh, comment (laughs) until I see the transcript, but uh, we can can stop somebody, I guess. (laughs) What did he say? What did he say? Put out the shepherd's crook and uh, and call in one of our accomplices. Marco Cecchinato's time for press hasn't been announced, incidentally, so I suspect he's... uh, He's taking it a bit of a moment to uh, to digest. We're getting the hot off the press. He said uh, he doesn't know if he's going to play on grass. And he said he doesn't want to think about tennis right now. Hinted that there might be more injury problems. And so, yeah, he's definitely a doubt for Wimbledon based on his comments. But you can't really tell. He might have just been really upset about the defeat and he just didn't want to think about the future. But yeah, very despondent Djokovic. Bombshell. Well, you heard it there from Jed Court of AFP, top reporter on the scene. Uh, <laughs> I feel a little bit like I'm ill-equipped to carry on this conversation, <laughs> Catherine. There seems to be some events in, pro- in progress of which we what not. Crikey. I mean, yeah, I mean, OK, let's just digest that bombshell very quickly. Well, knowing what you do about Novak Djokovic, how hot-headed and in the moment and potentially reversible do you think those feelings might be do you think we'll see him on the grass i mean this is wow 820 for marco cecchinato uh, that is uh, that's 40 minutes from now <laughs> that's pretty swift i mean we'll be pretty impressed with him a lot of the players take about two hours to come in but um do you think we should just pause for a second and and have a look at the transcript well i think uh, let's go and grab the transcript yeah back in a moment folks Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, we're back, folks. We've uh, we've not had a transcript, but we've had a few um, moments to uh, look on Twitter and speak to a couple of colleagues and see what they've had to say. Chris Clary, a uh, colleague from the New York Times, uh, pretty much confirmed what our other colleague, who unexpectedly guested on the tennis podcast, had to say. He has said on Twitter, have seen Novak Djokovic at quite a few low moments. That rushed news conference was one of the very lowest. He didn't see that defeat coming. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I suppose I, I suppose none of us saw that defeat coming. I mean, he was playing a completely unheralded uh, um, Italian that had never won a Grand Slam match before this week. But equally, the fact that he was such a heavy underdog coming into this, uh, I heard a lot of murmurings that, you know, that wouldn't suit him. He didn't want to be expected to win tennis matches. It's all about the mental side of things for Novak Djokovic. There's n- nothing wrong with the way he's hitting forehands and backhands. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he said, um, I don't know if I'm going to play on the grass. <laughs> that's a pretty radical reaction to a, a tight defeat in a high quality finish. I mean, he obviously didn't start well and he had, uh, he had two different medical timeouts. Um, the, the lengthy one early in the match when the trainer was turning his head uh, in a kind of dramatic manner to one side and massaging his shoulders and then, and then something else with, with his shin, I'd say. So I guess physically he wasn't um, absolutely without issue, but... Well, I mean, I thought he played pretty well. I mean, I'm now questioning my own judgment, but what did you think? Well, I thought that tie break was one of the highest quality 22 minutes of tennis I have ever seen. I thought he was brilliant. If he managed to do that whilst physically impeded, then he is well, even more of a hulk of a man than than uh, than I than I realise. But yeah, I mean, I I I I can't question the fact that he obviously is feeling some kind of pain. But he looked brilliant in that tie break to me, and a little unlucky. Unlucky to lose it. Uh, quite a, a, a quality tweet here from Enrico Maria Riva, Enrico Maria Riva saying, "People forget, but Cecchinato is the guy that knocked out <laughs> Trangeliti." Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, the completely after the huge Trangeliti uh, hoo ha, and nobody noticed when Marco Cecchinato ended up knocking him out over on court number seven or wherever that that match ended up getting shunted out to. But yeah, maybe we all should have taken a lot more notice. Hey, is Cecchinato going to keep this up? He now plays. Dominic Team, who um, was the victor in, a, in, in if, if Djokovic uh, Cheganato exceeded all of our expectations immensely, then certainly the, the Zverev team match uh, rather burst our bubble of, uh, of expectation, not least because Zverev was very clearly suffering with a hamstring injury from very, very early on. How directly related that is to, to the quantity of tennis he's played, uh, we'll not know, but I'm, I'm sure 
it, it was at least an, an ingredient in there and th- for you know for the duration of the match it was it was not a contest yeah i mean you'd think that team would have too much for him but then we thought that today team was very impressive wasn't he um and i noticed how well he's moving i mean the, the man is just a machine because he he won in geneva no not in geneva in, in leon before they came here so he, he, that was a week before a slam. Yeah, and he played sort of a three-hour match over two days. I mean, it wasn't a, a simple week of tennis for him and Leon by any means. I mean, Gunter Bresnik is just this, this kind of Svengali figure who just has him chained to the grindstone, doesn't he? I mean, he's pushing rocks up hills and watching them roll down again and then pushing them up again. This I, is. I tell you what, I'll have to eat a lot of words if he ends up winning this French Open because because when I saw that he was playing Leon, I had quite a few things to say. So, yeah, watch this space for Catherine Whitaker word-eating. Yes, uh, well, I, while we're on the subject of uh, predictions, I think I did put uh, Zverev to beat team in that quarterfinal in the predictions because I thought the, that the gas would run out. I also am glad to see that Sloane Stevens is still going. Yeah, but in, you didn't predict her to win, Simon. That's because I allowed an outsider to influence <laughs> me. And I particularly also want to bring up Fabio Fanini against Kyle Edmund, which I, I started out, did I not? Think, oh, that's very, very hard. I'm not sure I get to see get, get Carl getting past that one. And then somebody who, who hosts a tennis podcast and not sitting very far away from me suggested that Fanini was physically suspect and, uh, and that you'd seen him um, fall apart again. And then I realised that, that, that I shouldn't have listened to you because, because doing... he fell apart against Rafael Nadal. You've been doing this long enough to know that we are not to be listened to. You should have stuck to your gun, Simon. You've yeah. learned you've yeah, uh, a very important lesson at a very costly price, uh, <laughs> which you know might also be the case for Alexander Zverev. The lesson being, don't get taken to five sets three times in a row in the first week of Islam. Do we also need to bring up the, the shadow that does seriously hang over the Cecchinato story? Which we is... do, yes, we absolutely do. It's a shame to have to bring it up, but but go ahead. So he was um, convicted of match fixing um, in twenty sixteen, I think it was uh, July twenty sixteen. Yeah, over a challenger that he played in Morocco the previous year, and then and then the. Conviction was overturned, but from what I've seen, it was overturned on the basis that the evidence was collected in, a, in an irregular fashion. So it sounds a little bit like a technicality stroke loophole. So there is that element. I mean, that makes it much more difficult in some ways to, to, to kind of sparkle about the, the guy's romantic background, doesn't it? I mean, it couldn't be much harder. And he's he's pretty unprepared to talk about it, isn't he? He he, he I think he's been questioned, he's been probed once or twice about it this week, I'm sure. Well, I wonder if anybody will be daring enough to, to probe him on it in his in his most magical moment of his life uh, this evening. But uh, And he's not been drawn. He said, I, I just don't want to talk about that, that episode in my life. So it's difficult to... Yeah, I mean... It's difficult for us to talk about, frankly, because of the the overturning of it and the fact that it was on a technicality and, you know, the facts are what they are. Um, But it's also difficult to have a sort of redemption story if someone's not seeking redemption. You know, it's it's and also does, you know, because of the overturning, does he have anything to be redeemed from? As you can see, we're we're tying ourselves in knots, trying not to to get into hot water um, over this one because it's tricky. I mean, technically, I don't know. Can he fess up or would would he then... He then would would be banned. I mean, you get to, is there such a thing as double jeopardy in the court of match fixing? I don't know. Well, because he was tried by by it wasn't the, the tennis integrity unit. It was um, it was the Italian Federation that 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 convicted him, rather than the International Tennis Federation, I believe. Yeah. So 
I don't think he can talk about it without losing the ability to play tennis ever again. <laughs> right. Well, that's going to be a fun press conference then <laughs> at, uh, at 20 past eight. Should we just... Uh, Simon, Simon's got a date with the BBC, um, so uh, I can't keep him too much longer. So we're just going to have to pick over the bones of, of, the, of the women's matches today very, very quickly. And I, 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 as much as, you know, ordinarily I'd like to be more balanced about it, there has been one big story today and that, that's very clear. But we're going to get Sloane Stephens, Madison Keys semi-final, a rerun of, of the US Open. Yeah, I think another good tweet today was it um, Courtney Inyan who's who tweeted the uh, Americans don't like clay with a picture of uh, Madison and uh, Sloane. I think laughing was it the la- laughing picture from the US Open final? And uh, yeah, they've both been terrific. Um, Putin Sava, she she had a great tournament, didn't she? I think Does- she served for the first set against Madison Keys, and she was certainly five three up, I believe. Yeah, there were two um, straight sets wins, weren't they? But they were competitive. Um, and, and, and strong matches and uh, from what I've seen of the Sloan Stevens match I didn't catch very much of it because again uh, Zverev team was, was sort of dominating my attention at the time um, it seemed like she was um, pretty tight in, in, on, on forced errors um, and, and what I think I mean there's so many great things about Sloan Stevens. her movement is just like a Rolls Royce it's, it's so effortless and yet so powerful she, she actually she moves a bit like Federer you know, she's got incredibly powerful legs, just like he does, and you just don't realise what work she's doing. Because she, she's like the old uh, cliche about the the swan paddling under the water. Um, but also, she's got this when she's dialed in. She, she she's very tight on unforced errors, but she has the, the the power to back it up. So she she she's. She can knock you off the court as well, and she can neutralise other people's weapons while still deploying her own weapons, can't she? It's, which you know most people are either neutralisers or, or power players, and she's kind of both. Exactly, and that's why when she plays well, it's almost like, what what am I going to do? Um, what is Madison Keys going to do? Well, she has only got one on one route, isn't it? Um, but I would definitely back Sloan to win that one. Um, I just definitely, that's very. That's yeah. That's that's strong stuff. Yeah, I mean, not I just, just because of your pre-tournament non-prediction. No, I, mean, I just feel that that, that movement—it's um, like she'll be able to, to absorb the, the, the keys power, and 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 maybe she'll be able to um, to repost. She 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 kind of she can counter punch maybe in that one. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, it's it's obviously we got an American finalist on that side, and then. And then, well, tomorrow we've got uh, Sharapova Muguruza. That's the one, isn't it? That's the one. If if one of those two pulls out ahead of that match, then then well, I've, I've, I'll throw a strop. That's for sure. And then Halep uh, as well. So, yeah, who does Halep play? Goodness me, I'm having a mind. I've been so focused on Sharapova Muguruza. Kerber, she plays Kerber. Yeah. Simon. Mm. Okay, so two blockbusters. Who's coming through? You got you've got time for one last okay, prediction. One last prediction. So yes, um, Muguruza v Halep in that semi final. Goodness. Okay. Okay. Simon's off. He's off. He's got a date with the BBC. He's done his he's done his uh, breaking breaking Novak Djokovic news live on the tennis podcast, which leaves me um, alone just to cover one other non French Open related news story uh, related to Andy Murray, who of course hasn't been playing this French Open. He was expected. Um, to be making his return on the grass. We still expect him to make his return um, on the grass. He, uh, he's had a few things to say about, uh, about his desperate hope to, to play at Wimbledon, and uh, here he is. It's been very slow. Um, you know, I've been out 
getting close to a year now, which is a lot longer than I think me and any of my team kind of expected at the beginning. But uh, I'm get, getting closer to, to playing again. I've started training um, a few days ago and hoping uh, to make my comeback during the, the grass court season. So that's Andy Murray talking uh, about the struggles uh, in his comeback. It hasn't all gone to plan. I'm sure he'll have been watching this French Open closely. We know he's watching the Australian Open very closely. He was tweeting about it half the time. Um, be very interesting to hear if, if we ever get to what he makes of uh, what's happened to Novak Djokovic today. There are so many similarities and everything they're going through. But anyway, that's Andy Murray. We hope to see him on the grass desperately. Um, but for now, we turn our attention back to the French Open, which uh, courtesy of today, I think, has really, really caught fire. So thank you, uh, Marco Cecchinato and Novak Djokovic for that. We have been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, uh, with our executive producers, Triple S, Melanie Bowes and TennisBalls.com. And we will be back tomorrow. 